So last week, Adam mentions uh, this great couple of verses in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember uh, that James is about faith that works, James is about uh, faith being demonstrated, faith in the gospel being demonstrated by how we live out our lives. And one of the things that, one of the areas that James deals a lot with in this little book, in this little epistle, is the area of finances, the issue between the rich and the poor. And in bringing this up, the reason we're only looking at three, these three verses is because how we understand this it will affect how we interpret the rest of the, the epistle of James, specifically how we interpret the issues about the rich and the poor. And, and I, I have to just say off the, right off the bat that in reading this, my first thought is, wow, it seems as if James is saying, if you're rich, you're bad, and if you're poor, you're good. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable because I do realize that in the world economy, in looking how we are globally, with the monies that we have globally, all of us here, every single one of us, is rich. We are. Now, we're on a sliding scale of what that riches might be, but still, we are rich. We have homes to live in. We have food to eat. We have clothes to wear. And that home is heated that food is tasty, usually. And the clothes are varied. We wear different clothes all the time. So we are wealthy. We are on the top percentage of wealthy people in the world. And so if James is saying, hey, if you're poor, you're good, but if you're rich, you're bad, we're in big trouble. And we should be serious about that. We should be sober about that. We shouldn't be quick to explain that away. But I think it's also important for us to recognize that really what he's doing here, not just in these verses, but throughout the book of James, is James is trying to say, look, you guys need to see yourselves on an equal footing. That what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you embrace the gospel, you are seen in an equal position with one another before God. And this is the miracle, an equal position of Christ, with Christ in God. That our lives are hid with Christ in God. We're given His righteousness, which means rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, makes no difference. We are equals. And this is one of the things that, that, that James really wants to bring out as we look at this. Now, the reality is, though, this can be difficult to put into practice specifically when we deal with these issues of, of rich and poor. And I don't think any of us here are too are ignorant about the fact that there is, there is tension between different social economic classes. And I, I have to say this, as an American, that the middle class in America is, is, is big. It's really big. And it, it really has nothing to do with what you do for a living. It does have to do with how much money you have. But because there's so many people in the middle class, you don't feel the class distinctions as much. And coming here, I have to say, I still felt it. 
I, I felt that kind of tension between the rich and the poor. Rich were expected to vote this way. Poor were expected to vote this way. It doesn't work that way as evenly in the United States. I'm not saying it's better in the United States. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's different. And it was a big thing for me to see, wow, this is really more of an issue than I've ever experienced in my Christian walk. That we have to think about how do we treat each other in these things? How do we deal with these things? And I think it's important for us to recognize that, that in this situation, rich and poor, as in all situations, the thing that we have to start with, end with, build around and, uh, and build upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when we talk about faith, we are not talking about just believing for things, we're believing in somebody. We're trusting in the God who sent His only begotten Son that we might be declared righteous, that we might be made like His Son, that we might be with Him for eternity. That's the faith that's more precious than gold. So what I want to do in these three verses is kind of talk about that. How, does, how do we work this out? How does the gospel bring us to the same level, rich and poor? How, how does the gospel affect us, rich and poor? And, and I'll say this, I'm not even going to say, look, I've already said you're all rich, but you might not feel rich, so you can call yourself poor if you want. Still, the issue is, how does the gospel affect that? And so, looking again at verse 9, James says, let the lowly brother, that's the, the humbled brother, it's definitely in the context a reference to someone who's physically poor. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, we want to talk about this reality that faith, the faith we're talking about, the faith that's more precious than gold, is a faith that is exalted by the gospel. It's interesting because the thing about poverty is, Poverty doesn't make us righteous. And this is really important for us to understand. It's not the gospel is, Jesus talked about it. He highlighted that he preached the gospel to the poor. He didn't say the gospel was the poor. So there's no sort of spiritual advantage to being poor. It doesn't make you righteous. But the gospel can de definitely, poverty can definitely help you appreciate the righteousness that's in the gospel. It's important for us to recognize this. One of the things that happens when you're poor, when you experience poverty, and, and <clears throat> let me share just a, a kind of a quick insight from my own experience, and this is not me trying to gather pity, I promise, but in a Western sense, I know what it, I've known what it's like to be poor, in a Western sense, in that there was a situation in my life when I was about 13, 14, where because of choices my father was making, uh, things were going downhill, downhill for us economically, it got hit rock bottom when we had no place to live. We were homeless, and we had to sneak into the building that my dad managed and sleep on the floor. My older brothers, who were maybe, maybe 17, 18, and, uh, or a couple out of, one out of high school, they kind of all just went to live with friends. But me, I stayed with dad, and we slept on this cement floor with a cushion and a sleeping bag, and this little heater blowing hot air on us. And I'll tell you that really, it was only for three weeks that we were homeless or that I was homeless, but it messed me up in a big way. I, I felt what it's like to be poor in the sense that you are so ashamed of your poverty. And when you're in this kind of poverty, you can feel ashamed. And we can even feel it to a measure. I don't know if you've ever been in, in a situation where someone said, hey, you should go with us to such and such a place. And you're thinking, oh, I'd love to hang out with those people, but I can't afford that. But you don't want to say that. And you feel ashamed you can't afford to do what they do. Anybody ever feel that way? 
And I know what it's like to be so ashamed. I remember uh, when we were in that three or four week period, I got suspended twice in that three or four uh, week period for fighting at school because I was so kind of emotionally unstable that when someone would say to me, hey dude, what's wrong with your hair? I had hair back then. Um, what's, what's wrong with your hair? It, well, my hair was messed up because there was no place for me to shower. I had to sneak to my friend's house in the afternoon and take a shower. And I'd get like embarrassed and like tense and then they'd say, what's wrong with you? And I'd get mad and just start beating on them. Because I was just a mess. And this is the thing, real poverty, severe poverty, when you know that you're on the kind of lowest end of the scale, you don't know where your meal's going to come from, you don't know that you have a place to stay, that kind of poverty, it can, it can tempt you to feel, I'm ashamed because of what I lack. But what's amazing about the gospel is the gospel says, listen, in Christ, you lack Nothing even if you still remain poor. Check this out. Jesus' words in Revelation chapter two says this, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Speaking, this is Jesus describing himself. He says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but notice, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who, are, who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Think about this. Jesus says to his own people who are materially, materially poor, who are going to go through some difficult things, Jesus says to those people, you are rich. Why? Because you do lack nothing in me. The gospel exalts you to a place where you lack nothing. That's a faith more precious than gold. In fact, one of the, 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 the ways that poverty can help us appreciate righteousness is also that you know, material poverty can help us understand our spiritual need. There is definitely something there. In fact, that's why I think when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are, are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that yeah, he's talking about poor spiritually, bankrupt spiritually, but guess who he's talking to? Materially poor people. Because they're thinking, God may not, must not love us as much as he loves the real religious guys because they seem to have a bit of money and we got nothing. And, and Jesus is saying, no, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. One of the things about the gospel that is, is an amazing to think about is the gospel basically means, basically teaches us that we've been adopted in Christ. We've been adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've been adopted by him who, the, him who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, does that mean that we're going to be rich this side of heaven? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we don't have to worry about our own provision, as we'll get into a bit later, because we are King's kids. He will provide for us. He will make sure that the righteous don't beg bread. We'll have the things that we need. Might be last minute. Might not be as tasty as we'd like it to be, but it'll be there. I can testify to that. In fact, here's, here's how Paul describes our adoption in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We relate to God the Father the same way Jesus does because of Jesus. We've been adopted. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children notice, then heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I love this, the way this is in the original language because it, it kind of uses these words in a way that kind of, I can't pronounce them in Greek, so I'm not even going to try, but basically, you could maybe translate it this way. He says, we are co-heirs, and if we indeed we are co-sufferers, that we may also be co-glorified ones. That there's this union with Christ because of, of what he's provided in his death and resurrection, because of the adoption into his family, there's this union with Christ. You know what that means? It's a position that can't be taken from you. So it doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter what you lack materially. Because God says you're rich. God says you belong to him if you've put your faith in Christ. So this is what we mean by a faith that's exalted by the gospel. But James doesn't just address the poor, right? He says in verse 10, he, let the, he says, let the rich in his humiliation, let the rich, in other words, glory in his humiliation because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. Now, let's talk about the wealthy. Wealth does not make you righteous. But it can help you appreciate righteousness. This is important as well. One of the things that we see in the Old Testament specifically is the, the patriarchs, the ones that God wanted to use to further his people Israel so that the Messiah could come from Israel. Those guys were often wealthy. This is one of those truths that the, a, lot of, a lot of preachers on the God channel twist to say, see, God wants us to be wealthy. When you have faith, God blesses you and you become wealthy. But we forget we're supposed to have faith in Jesus and also faith like Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He has no place to lay his head. Jesus walked, he lived in pretty much poverty from the time he started his ministry. So the, the reality is, though, wealth, it doesn't make us righteous. And even though there was a, a mindset, specifically in Jesus' day, maybe not so much in us except for on that God Channel rubbish, but there's a mindset that says, you know, if, if we are king's kids, then we should live like king's kids. And wealth shows that we have faith in that God. Wealth shows that we are indeed living righteously. That's not what the Bible teaches. So wealth doesn't make us righteous, but wealth itself can. Here's the thing. And this, you know how poverty, as we just said, poverty tempts us to feel shame because we lack something? Well, wealth has its own temptations. Wealth can tempt us to feel self-important, self-reliant because of what we possess. Now, let me give you an example again from my own life. When we are feeling desperate, when I felt desperate financially, which is, I'll be honest, several times in my life I've felt that way. In ministry I've felt desperate. I, I, I can feel desperate and cry out to God, and I've seen God over and over again provide for us. This happened to us not too long ago, where I was feeling desperate and saying, God, please, I need this much money. And it was a lot of money, because I'm just feeling the pressure of school debt, and I'm feeling the pressure of got to pay taxes for the first time this year, and I don't know how much this is going to be, and all these different things, and kind of just feeling all this pressure. God, please do something. The next week, someone gave me that exact amount of money. I had no idea what I was going through. So we were able to pay off our school debt, and actually for the first time in I don't know how long, probably since we sold our house in America, we, had mo we have money in the bank. And you know, the first few weeks I was just like, wow, God, you're amazing. I'm just so humbled by this. And then I started thinking, I'm doing pretty good. I have money in the bank. I'm secure. 
I'm safe. So I was tempted. In my richness, I was tempted to feel self-reliant, self-assured. But that's not what God wants us to be. Again, Jesus writing or speaking to the churches in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. This is what Jesus says to the church that was was materially wealthy, the church of Laodicea. Jesus says, you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, it's important for us to recognize whether we're rich or poor, see ourselves as rich or poor, we're going to have temptations. And the, the big temptation is to look at what we have or don't have and measure our life our, our, our relationship with God, our righteousness, our value, measure that by our possessions, what we have or don't have. So the temptation is to think, oh, I'm ashamed because I don't have anything, or I'm self-important because I do have a lot. Either way, it's wrong. See, the thing is, though, wealth can help us understand the generosity of God. It really can. It's, a, it's amazing that when God provides money for you, if you're willing to say, all right, Lord, what do you want to do with this, that he will show you what he wants you to do and you're able to be generous in ways that really you know aren't that big a deal. But people really are like, wow, thank you, if they know. Here's what, again, Paul writes to Timothy. Paul says, listen, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor notice, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you see what Paul would say? Now, Paul didn't say to the rich in his Path, the same thing that Jesus said to the rich young ruler, which is significant. You guys know the story of the rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus and he says, you know, Lord, what great thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He's like, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. He names the, the ones that have to do with how you sort of relate to others. and I've kept those from my youth. What do I lack? He senses his own lack. And Jesus says, okay, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And what did he do? He went away sad because he had a lot of riches. What was the sadness? The sadness was the only way I'm going to find out uh, what I'm lacking is to give up all that I have so I lack everything. And he thought, I can't do that. So he went away sad, still lacking the thing that he needed the most, eternal life. Why? Because the riches were his God. That's what he worshipped. Now it's interesting that Paul doesn't say to the rich, he didn't say to tell Timothy, command the rich, uh, those that are rich in this present age. He didn't say, tell them to give all that they have to the poor or give it all to the church or anything like that. He says, look, tell them to watch their hearts. Tell them not to be haughty or arrogant. Tell them not to trust in their riches that are here today and gone tomorrow. But he notes, he also says, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, this is important because, listen, there's only two ways you're going to deal with the fact that you are the rich in the world. And we are. There's only two ways we're going to deal with it. One's going to be to say, we have this because we've earned it. We, are a, we have a better system. 
We are better people. We work hard. That's why we have this money. It's very tempting to do that. Especially because there is a sliver of truth to that. That the economic systems that we have had been more prosperous. There's a sliver of truth. But it's not the whole truth, is it? There are also a lot of corrupt things that happen to make the countries in the West as wealthy as they are. Like exploiting other people. So we have to make sure that we're not haughty about stuff. But also, we have to not feel guilty that we're in a place of prosperity. We have to say, all right, God, you've prospered us. Why? What do you want us to do? We want to richly enjoy the things that you've given us for sure, but what do you want us to do? And each one of us is responsible to say, God, what would you have me do with what I possess? Each one of us. And each one of us will give an account to God for what we possess and how we've used it. No, Paul doesn't say you have to get rid of it necessarily. Paul just says, look, you need to be focused on what's eternal. What's eternal. You want to lay hold on that. You need to be humble. Now, and now here's the cool thing. When it comes to, again, the gospel making us even, because in the same way that the gospel, it, it, faith in the gospel it, it exalts us, that, that, that the faith that's more precious than gold is a faith that is exalted by the gospel. Also, the faith that's more precious than gold is a faith that's humbled by the gospel. So that we recognize, the gospel means we're recognizing our complete dependence upon the mercy of God. Remember when Jesus tells the parable of the, the tax collector and the publican, or the, uh, the Pharisee? In Luke chapter 18, speaking of the tax collector, it says, The tax collector said in afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what's the thing about tax collectors in that day? They made themselves rich off other people. What did it do to this tax collector? He humbled himself. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who had a reputation, probably had short man syndrome. I want to prove something because he was too short. To prove that he, and he, and he, as, a, as a, a Jewish tax collector among the Jewish people, he was despised. He climbs up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus says, come on, we're going to have a meal together. And, and what happens as they commune together, salvation comes to Zacchaeus. He gets to a place where he recognizes, he says, I'm going to give back all that I've taken. He doesn't say, I'm going to stop being a tax collector. He says, I'm going to stop being crooked in it. He humbles himself and recognizes his dependence has been on riches instead of on the Christ. And when he comes into the Christ, in humility, he receives the salvation that he's offered. Guys, listen, this is a, a faith that's more precious than gold, and we have to keep this in mind because here's the, here's the reality. As we talk about these things in James, it's not just... It's not just the sections that talk about money that actually will affect our economics. Because here's the, here's the reality. I don't know if you've noticed this yet. Uh, anyone here over 30 for sure knows this, okay? Time is definitely more precious than money, isn't it? Because it's going fast. And you recognize your life gets busier and busier. No offense, students, no offense. I really don't mean any offense. I know it's tough being a student, but guess what? It's going to get harder way harder. Why do you think so many guys just kind of grow up playing video games till they're 30? They don't want to grow up. It's harder out there. 
They're carnal, but they're smart enough to know it's harder out there. It's hard. Life is difficult. We have choices to make with our time and with our finances. And here's the deal. What you do with your time ends up affecting your finances. I had a phone conversation last week with one of my relatives who was uh, bemoaning how, how tough the situation is that he's in. He gets up at 3.30 in the morning so he can start driving to work and get there by 6. He gets home at 7 o'clock at night, five and, or six days a week. He makes a lot of money, but is it worth it? All that we're going to talk about in the book of James is going to have some sort of economic impact. If he wants to change his life, guess what he has to do? Give up a whole lot of money. You're going to be at this, and it's not going to be just about like, okay, I'm not going to try to get that job that, that makes more money. It's not just that. It's going to be, you're going to be focused on things. You're going to be, you're going to put yourself in, in situations or find yourself in situations. We're going to have a choice to make, and the choice is really just about loving somebody, and then you're going to realize this has an economic impact. This is why it's so important for us to understand how the gospel makes us even. Because if you don't think, if you think somehow because you're the wealthy Westerner that somehow that makes you privileged and you're doing someone a great favor, you're going to look down on those who have less than you and that discredits the gospel. Now, James gets even heavier in verse 11 because he says, he quotes Isaiah 40 here. Peter quotes the same verse. Uh, it's, it's, I can't remember where else it's quoted in the New Testament. I wish I would have written it down, but it's a verse that basically talks about just how temporary our lives are. He says, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes. I look in the mirror and say amen to that. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, the faith that's more precious than gold, it's, it's a faith that does, it, it, exalts, it exalts the humble. It's, it's a faith that, that, that in the gospel that exalts us, it's a faith in the gospel that humbles us, but also it's a faith that actually changes our pursuits. This is the whole theme of James. That if we're going to follow Jesus, that means we're pursuing something different than we used to pursue. We have completely different goals now. Every one of us. When he talks about the rich man is going to fade in all his pursuits, is it only the rich man who fades away in his pursuits? What about the poor man in his pursuits? Does he not fade away? Does the poor somehow live longer? Not necessarily. Does he live eternally just because he's poor? Absolutely not. No, the application has is, is got to be clear to us. Man fades away in all his pursuits. Now, this is important because one of the things that happens is, is that the, the desire for wealth, we have to understand the desire for wealth is always, 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 every single time without exception, the desire for wealth competes against the worship of God. Every single time. It always does. Paul says it this way to Timothy. Listen. Paul says, notice those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, Paul is telling Timothy, it's not wrong that people have money, but it is wrong when people make money their pursuit. Now, let me be clear about something. We don't want to forget that this, these verses, verses 9 to 11, are sandwiched between James' kind of exhortation about trials, enduring trials, finding enduring trials, and James's exhortation about temptation, which we'll talk about next week. So between trials and temptation, guess what? Everyone experiences those, rich or poor. But what we have to recognize here, guys, listen, is that it's when we desire to be rich, and often we desire to be rich because we think we're poor when we're not. It's our desire to have more. I want more, I want more, I want more that stumbles us. Now let me be clear about something. It is not wrong to plan for your future. Proverbs is full of practical wisdom. One of the reasons we are assigning you, encouraging you to read a chapter of Proverbs every day is there's so much practical wisdom, specifically about finances. Nothing wrong for planning for the future. Nothing wrong for trying to, in trying to buy a house. Nothing wrong for saving for retirement. Those are all totally acceptable things to do. There's nothing wrong with that. It's also not wrong to make as much money as you possibly can for the job that you do. That's not wrong. If you have your own business, you're not being spiritual to charge less than all your competitors because you feel bad about making money. You're not being spiritual, you're being foolish and taking money out of, taking food out of your family's mouth. There's nothing wrong with making that money. It's when the money itself becomes a pursuit. In fact, can I can be really, really practical. Can I encourage you guys that are going to have the kind of jobs where you make money? Make as much as you can. And then guess what? Give it away. Live at the lowest level you can possibly live out comfortably, and that's between you and God, and then give the rest of it away. Do you know why there's the, the welfare system in Western states becomes such a burden and is so hard to balance? Because the church dropped the ball. Because we bought into this lie that it's okay for us to be wealthy like everybody else. That's exactly why it happened. I praise God for the welfare systems because otherwise so many people would be thrashed. But it's not the way God intended. That's not, the way, that's, not the, that's not what you'd get from looking at the tenor of Scripture. He would say it's the church that should take care of the poor. Why? Because it follows Jesus in preaching the gospel to the poor and demonstrating the gospel to the poor. Now, Faith changes our pursuits, and one of the reasons it changes our pursuits is because God is so faithful to chase us down when we pursue the wrong thing. He is so good about this. You know, Jesus loves you way too much to let you worship your false idols. He won't let us do that. He loves us too much, whether it's riches or lust or position or pride, whatever it is. He loves us too much to let us chase those things down. In fact, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Did you get that? He didn't say, it's gonna be difficult to serve God and mammon. He says, you cannot do it. It is impossible. You can't serve God and serve money as a pursuit. You can't do it. 
It's always in competition. Proverbs says this. In fact, this is a great prayer, the prayer of Agur in Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I request of you, he prays, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. What's that a prayer for? Integrity. And he also prays this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. It's not a prayer to be middle class, okay? It's a prayer to be content. God, help me to be content. Provide what I need. What do you need? Well, what do you have? This is tough, isn't it? It's tough for me. I'll just just confess, your pastor struggles with this. I struggle with this. I struggle living in a really nice house. I have a really nice house. And you, by the way, you pay for it. The church pays my rent. And and the thing is, I struggle with that. I think it's a good deal for a house. I don't think it's too, I hope it's not too uh, absorbent. I've only had one or two people comment. But for the most part, you know, I think it's okay. But I still struggle with it. I think, man, should I live less? And I struggle with wanting more. I do. I really do. I, 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 I want more. I want better vacations. I, I, I covet after clothes. I want to pay for the higher gym membership and make myself go every day because I know if I work hard enough, I can get abs again. I know I can. I, I covet as much as anybody else. And guess what? I have to repent of it all the time all the time. Guys, this is not what God calls us to. I'm so thankful that Jesus loves me that much that he, I'm so thankful God chastens me. He doesn't let me have those idols. And I gotta tell you, there's no better place to be than just simply being content. You know, and, and, and just to be clear, you can't just choose to be content. It doesn't work that way. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be abased, have nothing materially, and I've learned to abound, have plenty materially. I've learned to be content. Some of you are not content. That's the problem. It's not what you have, it's what you don't have. And you're not content. Some of you, you're not content with what you have. I was teasing Frankie uh, this week. They, they, they were just blessed with a great trip to Austria that someone else paid for. I'm sure they don't care that I, I say that. But poor Frankie, on the way back, he's like going, oh, it didn't matter. It was, it was, he's trying to dump it, act like it was rubbish. Well, Frankie, just be thankful. It was a great trip. Some of us, have we struggle with that. I, I know that the same way. Someone blesses with something like, oh, I, I can't take this. It's, oh, no, no, I, I can't take this. Come on. God bless you, just give thanks for it. Be content that God says, I want to provide this for you. Be content with it. This is what God's calling us to, to pursue contentment. Why? Because as Paul says also in in, uh, 1 Timothy, he says, godliness with contentment is what? Do you know? Great gain. Godliness with contentment, pursuing pursuing the character of God by the grace of God for the glory of God, that's godliness godliness. With contentment, God, you got me right where I'm supposed to be. That's great gain. Now, here's the reality, okay? When it comes to pursuing God, remember, we're talking about a faith that's more precious than gold. That's a faith that changes our pursuits. 
when we're talking about that kind of faith, that pursuit of God, listen, it always requires us trusting Him with our material needs. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The way you make that transition, the way you learn to be content is to start saying, God, it's all yours. I trust you with it. You lead me in the way you want to go. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. This was the first verse I ever memorized, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Why? He says, you know, he says, because you know what? Tomorrow's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day are its own troubles. You trust me today. You trust me today. Here's the reality. Whether we're rich or we're poor, whether we see ourselves as rich or poor, we all need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Look, if you're poor, if you're in a really bad place financially, it does not make you righteous or unrighteous before God. What makes you right with God is, is faith in Christ alone. If you're wealthy and you feel like, yeah, I'm doing okay, I got what I need, that does not make you righteous. There's no indication that you're right with God at all. What makes you righteous is faith and what Christ has done for you. It's faith in Christ alone. So as we go through James, and we feel that tug, we feel that challenge that it's going to have to affect our wallets, not just our church life. Let's seek first his kingdom. Let's say, Lord, you're going to add everything that you want for us. You're going to bless us. Let's just, we want to seek your kingdom and let you do what you want to do in our lives. You know what happened when we do that? We're going to be blessed, and God's going to be glorified. Amen?